Insights listeners, Nicole here, and thanks so much for joining me for this week's Bite Size Insights, empowering people leaders with best-in-class information in 10 minutes or less. All right, now I am really excited for this week's Bite Size. We will be breaking down three of the most commonly and poorly interchanged words, diversity, inclusion, and equity. So often these words are just thrown out. But do we truly understand the nuance of each and the importance of achieving all three? Now, this week is just part one of a two-part episode featuring Sarah Nodarse of The Zone, a global culture consultancy, try saying that three times fast, who's on a mission to make organizations more human. She'll join to help us better understand those nuances between diversity, inclusion, and equity and how they impact engagement. Sarah, take it away. Hi, everyone. It's Sarah Nodarse from The Zone, and I'm here to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're going to define the three terms and talk about what the relationship is to employee engagement. Quick caveat, these are not the end-all, be-all definitions, but they are definitions that come from almost 15 years of working with people and culture and organizations, and in particular with Amplify's partner, The Zone. At The Zone, we believe that if we can just tap into what makes us human in the first place, we can unlock tremendous potential to solve the world's biggest problems. So let's start with our first term, diversity. We're going to talk about the traditional definition of diversity and also a definition that the zone adopts that's a little different. So first, the traditional definition. When DEI practitioners talk about diversity, they mean something specific, and it has to do with dominant and marginalized social identities. Resma Menakim said it best, in my opinion. He's a therapist, a coach, and an author of a book called My Grandmother's Hands, which deals with racialized trauma. And in a recent podcast I listened to, he talked about a conversation he had with DEI practitioners, and he asked them to confront the basic meaning of this term when used in a corporate setting. Diversity from what, he asked. The term implies that we start somewhere homogeneous and diversify from there. And what is that homogeneous starting point then? Well, historically, it has been the straight, white, able-bodied male. And it's very uncomfortable for us to say this because it sounds like we're saying something bad about straight white men, which we're not. What we're saying is bad is a phenomenon called groupthink. And groupthink is what you get when your organization is homogeneous, when you have all the same type of person in your organization. Study after study has shown that this homogeneity limits our decision-making capacity and innovation. We want to get out of groupthink because the ultimate goal is not to just have diversity for diversity's sake, but to have the best people on the best teams delivering the best performance. So the DEI field has been working on diversifying organizations, bringing in folks that are other than straight and white and male and able-bodied since the 1970s, following the civil rights movement. And of course, outside the United States, DEI efforts look a little different. But by and large, in the USA, diversity has referred to the movement to bring in more women, more people of color, more LGBTQ people, people with disabilities, veterans, and other categories into the organization. And to be quite frank, it has required an entire field and profession and decades of work because it has been that hard to change our perception of what top talent looks like and what leader looks like 
Still, we have enough organizations that have taken enough initiatives that we now have solid data to show the impact. Simply put, ethnic, cultural, and gender diversity deliver higher profits, especially when they're at the senior leadership levels. Okay, so that's all about the traditional meaning of diversity, the one based on social identities, and it's crucially important to innovation and performance. But there's a second aspect to it. This is what we use at The Zone, and we call it the whole person approach. So let's contrast the whole person approach with this traditional meaning that is typically called the whole self. So if you bring your whole self to work, that's when you don't have to hide that marginalized social identity. You don't have to downplay any part of your racial, ethnic, culture, gender, or whatever part of your identity that you have. That's the whole self, bringing your whole self to work. At The Zone, we talk about bringing your whole person to the table, which is a little different. Your whole person is about using all of who you are as a human, your human faculties. So to understand what this means, think about what is the part of you that you use most of the time when you're at work? There's a lot of data we have to sort through, a lot of information we have to process. And typically we're using our heads to do that. Our heads are very, very good at that and it's very useful. But we are not just heads on sticks as humans. There's other parts of us. For example, we have hearts. We have feelings. We have emotions. We also have gut feelings. And we have our imagination. We also have our tendency to move, the need to, to take action, and to take action on real-world problems that we're trying to solve. So using your whole person is about using all of those faculties. Think about it. Is it okay to talk about gut feelings or dreams when you're trying to solve a problem as a team? Is that, is that accepted in your culture? Is it okay to contradict the data and say something just doesn't feel right? Is it okay to let the heart override the head sometimes when care is more important than logic? These are questions we can ask ourselves to see if we're creating an environment where diverse human perspectives are valued. At The Zone, when someone is using their whole person, we say that they're creating collective intelligence, or CQ. You've heard of IQ, right, your head intelligence, and EQ, your heart intelligence. Well, CQ is even more powerful than those two combined because it also includes the gut, the imagination, the taking of action to solve real-world problems. So how do we do that? Well, it's about inclusion. Inclusion is where the magic happens. And the one thing that you have to remember about inclusion is that without it, diversity will not thrive. You will not get the benefits of diversity, either of the whole self or the whole person, without creating a culture in which everyone can contribute, have their voices heard, and feel like they're valuable. So how do we do it? There are so many books and articles out there on inclusive leadership, countless theories and models. It's hard to know what the best way forward is. So the traditional way of dealing with inclusion has to do with handling the social identity part, the whole self, bringing your whole self to work. And to handle that, we need to confront unconscious bias and culture. So we need to look at how our brains work. Many people think that to be biased just means that we're somehow bad or unfair. 
when really we're talking about brain science and how our brains are processing millions of bits of information per second, we can only consciously process a few dozen of those. So the brain shortcuts are take influence how we see people. And our cultural filters also influence how we see people. Culturally, we have been primed to see tall men as the best leaders, to see strong women as aggressive, and so many other similar labels. Culturally informed filters impede us from seeing people as they truly are. So we do have to really work on managing unconscious bias and developing intercultural competence if we want to handle the whole self part of diversity. But to handle the whole person part of diversity, we need different skills. At the zone, we believe the ones that are needed are called facilitative leadership skills. So facilitative leadership is what allows an organization to deliberately build the culture it needs for diverse perspectives and diverse people to thrive. So a facilitative leader is one who believes in and applies collaborative processes to facilitate the work of a group to achieve its purpose and does so in a way that's aligned with the agreed values of the organization. So a facilitative leader is somebody who makes it easy for the team to achieve its purpose. And the skills that they have are about making sure that there's not just one person that holds the answers, but this team is smarter together. Facilitative leaders know that, for example, meetings need to be creatively and thoughtfully designed to unlock the potential of people. They know that psychological safety is where it all begins and where it can just as easily end. And they work on their facilitation skills, and this is important, with humility and regular feedback from the team. Because they know that slowing down to speed up is not just a quote, it actually works. So this sounds like a big job, but fortunately, there's a place where we all can start, and that is in meetings. Every one of us is in meetings a lot. So having more inclusive, more effective meetings is hugely impact on creating inclusion in the culture. And The Zone has created a guide to facilitative leadership with seven tips for inclusive meetings that you will be able to download. So please check out that guide and put it into practice to create meetings that allow not only people's whole selves to come to the table, but their whole person as well. Thank you for joining this week's Bite Size. I hope that you learned something new. And if there's a topic that you want to make sure we address, submit your feedback at amplify.com slash questions. That's E-M-P-L-I-F-Y dot com slash questions. And be sure to join us for part two as we wrap up this discussion and tie it all back to engagement.